Good morning, Crossbridge friends. Uh, before we turn our attention to this passage from Exodus, a couple of items. The, the first one is thank you for all of you that are making these services happen. Uh, the tech people are stupendous. I'm enjoying listening to and working with uh, Elder Chris and Minister Jeff as we work through these texts. They keep reminding me, I hope they're reminding you that God hears, he remembers, he sees, and he knows. So thank you, everybody. It's great to partner with you. And the second item is this is the first Sunday of the month. And normally when we're gathered, we have communion together. The leadership of the church decided not to try to replicate that while we're in our homes. But we do want to pause here and remember. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So take a moment. Be reminded. Remember, think about our Lord's death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, his coming again. He said, I will not eat and drink like this with you again until we do it in the kingdom. So we remember not only the past, but in a sense, we remember the future. He is coming back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do remember the gift of your Son, and we thank you. He died a terrible death bearing our sins. He was buried. He rose again in newness of life, and we're connected to that. And we remember that he's coming again to put down evil, to establish good, and we're so thankful to be part of that. So we remember you, we honor you, and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Friend J.D. is a pioneering missionary in Cambodia. He's been there more than 30 years. And uh, he has turned an oral language, which was never before reduced to writing. Uh, he's made it into a written language, created a script. He has won the lost preaching the gospel. He's planted churches. He has trained pastors. And I think that when the history of Christianity is written about that part of Southeast Asia, that my friend's name will figure in the story. Well, after J.D. had been there just a few years, so way back, more than 20, 25 years ago, uh, J.D. wrote this to me in an email, and I have his permission to, to share it with you. He said, lately I've been flooded with two feelings that on the surface seem contradictory. One, a feeling of complete inability to do what God has called me to do. And two, a feeling that I am being greatly used by God. Sometimes it feels like God just needed a warm body to come here to his part of the world and to be a sort of human funnel for the prayers of people all over the world. I'm not discounting our presence here. It is critical. I'm just an instrument in God's hands. I think J.D. has it right. 
on the one hand, complete inability to do this great work of winning the lost, planting churches, helping people. But on the other hand, uh, being an instrument, and God uses us. He has chosen to use us as his means of winning the lost and doing these great deeds for God. So which do you, which do we tend to focus on, complete inability or uh, being greatly used by God? I think most of us focus on the first, a feeling of inadequacy, inability. And we actually see that in our passage today with Moses. He keeps making excuses. I can't do it. You've got this great task for me and I can't do it, God. So if you share those feelings, then this text has a good word for you, a good word of grace. We'll get there in a minute, but first of all, let's look at this feeling of inadequacy. Did you notice in last week's message with uh, Minister, uh, with Elder Chris, Moses keeps making excuses. So if I can go back to last week's message, God calls him, remember the burning bush, he calls him, I'm sending you to my people, you'll deliver my people, I will use you. And what does Moses say? Uh, chapter 3, verse 10, he says, um, uh, the Lord says, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring out the people, the children of Israel, out from Egypt. And Moses said, Well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and you know bring out the children of Israel, do, do this big job? Who am I? I'm a shepherd. Remember the context? He grew up in Egypt. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter, the adopted son grew up in royalty, but he was also an Israelite, and he knew that. And when he got to be an adult, when he was around 40 years old, he saw some of his people, the, the Jews, being mistreated, and he actually killed a person, an Egyptian. Well, word got around the palace, and he had to flee. And he's been 40 years in the desert of Midian. And so God comes to him after 40 years, a burning bush, and he says, well, who am I? All I've been doing out here is talking to the sheep and goats. I can't even remember my uh, Hebrew very well. We don't speak it here. Am I Egyptian? Who am I? So a feeling of inadequacy. Then again, objection number two. Uh, chapter 3, verse 13, Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, they're going to ask me, Well, what is his name? What am I supposed to say to them? Like, I'm going to go to the people and say, Yeah, God's sending me. I had a dream. I had a vision. And they're going to say, Well, I, you know, who, who, what God are you talking about? This so-called Yahweh. We haven't heard of him before. And so he's balking and hesitating and making objections. Objection number three from our text today, chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They will say, The Lord did not appear to you. So more of the same, right? More of the same uh, expression of inadequacy. They'll say, okay, you claim that this God appeared to you, but we weren't there when it happened, so we need some proof and we need some evidence. Objection number four. This whole passage could be subtitled, 
feelings of inadequacy and the objections that arise out of that heart which is not confident in the Lord. <laughs> Objection number four, chapter four, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, O oh Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am, I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I can't talk. Well, feelings of inadequacy, right? Objection number five. <laughs> chapter 4, verse 13. But Moses said, <coughs> O Lord, my God, please send someone else. The first four objections may be what the, uh, the scholars call exaggerated humility. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, in many cultures, there's just kind of a uh, a, a style or an expectation that if somebody gives you a compliment or, you know, calls you to a high task that you would say, oh, no, no, I can't do it. If, uh, if somebody says to the, to the cook, wow, that was a great meal. In some cultures, the chef says, oh, no, I'm sure you could have done better. Oh, the, the such and such was overdone. It usually comes out better. And it's this kind of exaggerated humility. Okay, the first four may be an instance of that. But here in number five, objection number five, it just shows us that he didn't want to do it. He just says, Lord, please send someone else. And so Moses was making excuses, some legitimate, some illegitimate, some half true, some partially true or false. But he just doesn't want to do it because he feels, who am I? And this, this outright rejection, this last instance, prompts the anger of God. Chapter 4, verse 14 says, And the Lord was angry with Moses. Reminds me of um, the fourth book in the Chronicles of Narnia. You remember the main character is Jill, and Aslan, the great lion, appears to her. She's never seen Aslan before, just as Moses has never seen God before, the burning bush. And Jill is dying of thirst, and there are these beautiful, clear pools before her. She wants to go drink, but there sits a lion. And the lion says to her, you may come and drink. Oh, I'm dying of thirst. Then drink. And Jill says, Would you mind going away? <laughs> Aslan doesn't answer. He looks at her, and, and the text says, And there is a low growl. The anger of God. Well, would you promise not to do anything to me if I go to drink? I make no promise. Do you eat girls? I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and nations. He said this without bragging or threatening. He just said it as a fact. 
then I dare not come and drink. Then you will die of thirst. Eventually she goes and she does drink and she learns more about this Christ figure, Aslan. But my point is, when we refuse his gracious invitation slash command, drink, we may receive a low, barely audible growl. That's what happened with Moses. The Lord was angry with him. But the larger point I'm making is that we identify with Jill and with Moses, don't we, with, with our feelings of inadequacy. He is giving us invitations slash commands, and we often express subtly our objections. He has commissioned us, witness, spread the gospel, witness to your friend, and we say, oh, well, <laughs> they won't listen. There may be some truth in that. He says to us, give up that habit. Die to self. And we say, I can't. I understand there's part partial truth in there, but be careful there's not mixed in with that, I won't. He says, take upon yourself some big task. Get involved in, uh, you know, one of the hot spots in our culture right now, racial reconciliation. Take a stand. And we might say, what can I do? Truth be told, I'm pretty comfortable where I am. The Lord may say, forgive. And we may respond, uh, I, I, it's beyond me. Don't know how, don't know if I want to. And so, this feeling of inadequacy and hesitation. Can I share with you how this text and this, this teaching is percolating through my own heart and my own experience? The Lord has been dealing with me. He has been giving me an invitation slash command for years now concerning Sabbath. Elder Chris and Emily and I have talked about this. The uh, core, the leadership team has talked about this. And I've, in my own mind, I've gone around and around with it uh, over the years, and I really believe in it, and I really think that it is healthful, and it's God's gift to us. And, and not only that, I've come to see recently that Sabbath is an act of faith and obedience. And I feel like God's calling me and commanding me to do it. I'm not laying this on you. I'm just saying this is how this commissioning of God is speaking to me as I'm preparing this sermon. But what? why has it been going on for years? What, what have my responses, my objections been? Well, my response has been, I'm too busy. And there's some truth in that. But that's part of the command and part of the invitation, isn't it? As if God says, I know you're too busy. Why do you think I'm giving you a day of rest? And the faith comes in because um, when we lay down our work and set it aside, then we trust God that you are the one that gives the rain and brings forth the crops and gives us success with our hands. 
I'm not the one. I'm just a, what did JD say? Just a funnel for you to do your work. So all of that to say, I'm thinking through my own issues. They're not nearly as big as Moses's. <laughs> but in my own little way, I'm identifying with Jill. I'm identifying uh, with Moses. And if you are too, here's a good word. Here's the word of grace from this text. He gave it to Moses. Now you receive it. I want to receive it. Here's the word. I will be with you. I know I'm calling you to a big thing. I know you've been out here in the desert for 40 years. Slow of speech and tongue. I get it. I will be with you. Look at that. It follows right after Moses' objections back in chapter 3. Remember his first objection? Then in chapter uh, 3, verse 12, God said, I will be with you, and I will give you signs and evidences and proofs for the people of Israel and the Egyptians. I will be with you. Stand up. Get moving. I'm not just tossing you in the deep end. I'm there with you. Here's a second objection, which is in 3.13. Then God says, uh, you know, Moses said, well, I don't, what will I say to him? Who sent me? What is your name? God says, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is the one that has sent me to you. It's another way, a longer way of saying, I am with you. Tell them, God is with me. I am has sent me to you. And then objection number three, which is in the beginning of chapter four. Remember, Moses said, oh, they won't believe me. They won't listen to me. How does God answer? In chapter 4, verse 2, he says, Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? The staff? Throw it on the ground. Remember this part of the story? The staff, it becomes alive. It becomes a living snake. It's a sign. Apparently, Moses was able to reproduce this at, at, at need, you know, multiple times. And it's a way of saying, here is a tangible sign that I am with you. And the, the symbol of the staff was, was a good one. It was meaningfully chosen. I have a staff with me here. It's actually a cane. <laughs> and in the ancient world, everybody had a staff, uh, men and women, although there's no um, indications of women having them in the Bible, but archaeologically we know they had them. And it was really very handy. A, a typical staff was three feet to six feet in length. This one is probably a little bit less than three feet. And sometimes, sometimes it would be straight or sometimes it would have a curved top. This is a top, it has a, this is a cane, but sometimes kind of a crook on it, a shepherd's staff. And uh, it was a great symbol because they would use this as a crutch, like a cane. They would use it as a personal identifier because they would carve it and put markings on it. You know, it was your own sign of, 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 um, of yourself, sort of like a driver's license today or a, a, a passport today. 
It was also used for defense uh, as a weapon, sort of like carrying a sidearm today. And it was also used in the ancient world um, as a symbol of authority, sort of an extension of yourself, like kings would have staffs or maces. And so it was a, a way of extending yourself or your, your abilities or your hands uh, with your staff. Okay, so it was a well-chosen symbol because God is saying, take that thing which is a marker of yourself, personalized. It's, it's sort of you. It's a, it's like your hand. It's your symbol of authority. It's a, it's your means of defense. Take that thing and I will be with it. In fact, later in the chapter, it is called the staff of God. Moses' staff is also the staff of God. You remember he used it for the miracles, uh, parting the Red Sea and, you know, the different plagues and everything. Um, it was the presence of God. What is the point I'm making? I am with you. You're not alone in this. Here's a tangible sign. God gives him another miracle. Remember the leprosy thing? Moses puts his hand in, inside his cloak and it comes out. It's got leprosy. He puts it back and it's healed. And then another miracle of uh, turning water into blood. Moses did that later. That was one of the, of the, the plagues on the Egyptians. But he is saying, I have proofs, I have signals that I am walking with you and you speak on my behalf. Okay, objection number four. I can't talk. I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech. What does God say to him? Chapter four, verses 11 and 12. He says, well, who has made man's mouth? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth. I will teach you what you shall speak. I will be with you. I'll give you the words. Then objection number five. Remember, this is the outright refusal. Lord, please send someone else. The anger of the Lord, subterranean <laughs> growling. Uh, the anger of the Lord is kindled, and the Lord says, All right, all right. Um, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. And when he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. So I'm going to send him with you. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. Once again, I'm equipping you. I'm with you. I'm sent, you will be my mouthpiece to Aaron. He will be my, your mouthpiece to the people. I am with you. So, to your feelings of inadequacy and the hesitations we have and the objections we make, some real, some false, some legitimate, some illegitimate, God says, I'm equipping you. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I am with you. What does the old hymn say? Fear not, I am with thee. Oh, be not dismayed. For I am thy God. I will still give thee aid. I'll strengthen thee, help thee, and cause thee to stand upheld by my righteous 
omnipotent hand. Now this grace of God, this presence of God, is seen even more clearly in the New Testament, in the era that we live in. Remember Jesus, remember the Great Commission, his final words uh, to the disciples? Go into all the world, make disciples, preach, teach, baptize, and lo, lo, behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Hey guys, I know you got a big job, go into all the world, make disciples. I, I, you can't do it on your own, and don't worry, I am with you. And how is he with us? He is with us, so the New Testament reveals, through the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Remember in John 14, it's, it's the Last Supper, it's the night before Jesus uh, is betrayed. Remember, he keeps saying to the disciples, I'm going away, I'm going away. And they're, they're sad and they're fearful and they're feeling inadequate. And uh, remember what he said to them. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send my spirit as a helper. And so in the New Testament, we understand this, this help of God, this presence of God in a deeper way, perhaps, than they did even in Moses' time. The Holy Spirit is with all who believe. What does that mean? It means conscience. I think he is speaking to my conscience, you know, regarding Sabbath. It's the Spirit. He has given us a new heart, not a heart of stone, a heart of flesh, alive, sensitive to the voice of God. As I'm teaching here right now, we're going through this passage, is the Lord speaking to you? Is there a task, a calling, an invitation, a command? He is with you. Receive that reminder. How does the Holy Spirit talk to us? Through our conscience, through the body, the help of the body. Remember, every person is gifted and every person supplies. And we encourage one another and we admonish one another. We pray for one another. That's the equipping of God for the great tasks that he puts before us. The Holy Spirit guides us. He empowers us. He is the wind in our sails, enabling us to obey and uh, fulfill God's call. This is the age of the Spirit today. He fills, he empowers, he gives gifts, he baptizes, he leads, he reminds. I will. He will call all things to your remembrance. And so today we understand the presence of God not only in signs and wonders, but also the presence, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I am with you. So, get up, get moving, obey the Lord, receive this grace and this empowerment, receive this reminder, that when God commissions, he also provides. When he lays a burden on us, he also walks beside us carrying that burden.
Let's pause just a moment for you to make your response to God from this teaching. Our Heavenly Father, help us respond to you and to learn from Moses, who we identify with. Help us to say not, who am I, but yes, sir, in your strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.